Well, as I mentioned, we're going to start a new series this morning that we've entitled Building Godly Families. And one of the things I, I think are, is important as a church is that we spend time together talking about issues that are important to who we are as people. Some of you may think, well, I don't have kids in the house anymore. This really doesn't apply to me. Well, if you have kids, they may have kids. And they may come to you sometime and say, Mama, Daddy, how do I, how do I handle what I'm dealing with? And maybe some of these kind of things can help you in those situations. For some of us, we're kind of halfway through the building family process, and hopefully we've got a handle on it, but we can always use a tune-up. Uh, and there may be younger families here just kind of figuring it out as we go. But this time of year, family seems to take center stage in a lot of ways. We, we celebrate the end of another school year real soon here. Uh, in our culture, we set aside days to honor mothers and fathers. Uh, we take time to recognize those who graduate from high school, from college, and beyond. Uh, other events and opportunities for families to get together. I think it's important that we spend some time thinking about what it means and how we build a godly family. And so what we're hoping to do, I'm hoping to do over the next five weeks, is to take the five pieces of the puzzle. And you're probably looking at the screen and saying, Patrick, you don't know how to count. There's only four. Well, they're not all there yet. We're going to build four pieces, and then we'll bring it together on the last week with the fifth piece. But I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 24. And this passage includes a very familiar verse that you probably have heard before. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's in this passage. But toward the end of the time Joshua led the people of God to invade and then possess the promised land, uh, there came a moment when Joshua realized that he was about to fade from the scene and he needed to challenge the people not to make a commitment, rather to renew their commitment. And I think that's something that we, in our time, we sometimes forget that we need to, from time to time, to renew that commitment to the Lord, to say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is where I'm going. And so he calls them together to a place called Shechem. Uh, Shechem is uh, in the northern part of Israel. It's a place that is of importance, especially in the early parts of the Bible. If you remember, this is the place where Abram had worshipped God when he came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, this was the place where the nation gathered in the promised land as the conquest of the land began. And now, after all these years, Joshua calls the people back to Shechem. It's also the place where Jericho, uh, Jacob's well is just right in this same area. So this is an important crossroads in the nation. And he says, I want you to come back together and let's talk about it. We've, we've spent uh, the last 30, 40 years, Joshua would say, invading the land, possessing the land, taking the land. Now Joshua is a young man of 110 you're thinking, well, that's not young. Well, no, but he knew his leadership time was coming to an end. And he wanted the people of God to stop and remind themselves and renew themselves to the God of the Bible. And I think it serves as a, a template, if you will, for us as we think about how to build a family that honors God. And the first step, I believe, is to make a commitment that says God is going to be first. So I want you to see five things this morning from this passage. The first one is this. We have to make a choice of which God we're going to follow. You're going, what are you talking about? There's only one God. Hang in there with me. Look at verses 14 and 15. Joshua challenges the people and he says this. Now, therefore, 
Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And put away, catch this, the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, my family unit, we will serve the Lord. So as the story opens, we find Joshua very late in his life, taking stock of his life. I, I think we do that sometimes, don't we? When we get older, we start to stop and go, man, what, what does my life look like? What's my life shaped like? What's it, what have I accomplished in life? Where, has, where have been the most important things in my life? And I think Joshua was doing the same thing. Remember, he had succeeded Moses after 40 years in the wilderness. He had been the man whom God had called to lead the people into the promised land. And if you remember, his first major battle had to do with a big wall in Jericho. But that wasn't the last battle. They went on from there to possess the vast majority of the promised land. They had victory after victory. They had some defeats along the way based on the unfaithfulness of some of the people in the nation. And that unfaithfulness served to infect the people with a spiritual malaise and funk. And that leads Joshua to this important moment when he says, we've got to decide who we're going to be, who we're going to follow, where we're going to go, what we're all about, much like families have to do. We have to decide that. Would they choose to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses? Or would they go after the pagan lands of the, of the, of, of the lands that they've conquered, of the land from where they came from, of their ancient gods that they used to follow? And what he does here is he lays out some steps within this idea of making the choice that the people need to see. The first step was this. He says, fear the Lord. Now, this is not the idea of being terrified of God, of being running from God, of being running away from God. Rather, it's this idea of respecting God. He understood he did not have the wisdom that God held, so he needed to have this respect. Second is to serve God with a sincerity and faithfulness. Now, the big idea here is not finding perfection. (laughs) Aren't you glad? We're not going to find perfection in this life. We can make progress. But what we need to find is the heart of God to make this progress down the right road, to seek to find the faithfulness in God's way. And then third is to put away the false gods that they had worshipped. Now realize the people had been in Egypt for about 400 years before they were led across the, the Red Sea and into the promise, or to the promised land. They had, they had been influenced by pagan gods, literally pagan gods, golden idols, other concepts and beliefs that were not godly. And you may have never stopped to think about this, but but don't we face the same kind of thing in our lives? We live in a land that professes to be a, a nation under God, but yet there's many pagan beliefs that are rampant. If you haven't noticed, there's some things that are really becoming obvious. I was reading an article yesterday, day before yesterday, about a, a man in, in somewhere on the East Coast who who is wanting to marry his daughter. And he's trying to get legal permission to, you know, that's illegal, by the way. It's also against the nature of things, by the way. And the guy is trying to get this changed because he never knew her until they became older. And so they just love each other. They want to have a family and they want to become a union. And and you're going, oh my goodness. The world we live in, folks, is changing rapidly. Not unlike the ancient days. 
For some people, it's they want to build a family they want to build. For others, it's this. They want to have status. They want to be important and and influential. For others, they want to have their wealth as the central thing in their life. For others, it's a lot of other things, sports activities, recreation, travel, those kind of things. Listen, there's not a thing wrong with any one of those. But when we put those things above God, they have become our God's. And they have become more important to us. Joshua said in verse 15, he said, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, we have to come to a place where we say this, God is going to be God. Not God on Sunday, but not the rest of the week. Not God when he's convenient, but all the time. Not God when it feels good, but even when it feels bad. He's still God. The first step to building a godly family is saying, God, you're going to be first in everything I do. And until he is first priority, he will not have the ability to transform your life the way he wants to. So first of all, we've got to make a choice. Who's going to be God? Follow the story a little bit further. Look at what happens next in verses 16. You say, well, we've already made the choice. Well, now you've got to do something. You've got to commit. You've got to commit to follow the true God. Look at verse 16. The people answer. They said, oh, Joshua, far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great things signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples although uh, through whom we passed and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples the Amorites who lived in the land therefore we also will what serve the Lord for he's our God so the people have been made a, uh, given a choice and it's been laid out very plainly and the people respond and they say these are some really good are these great words and this is a great passage isn't it they're going oh we're with you Come on, Joshua, tell us some more. It's great. We're with God. Far be it from us, we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We're, we're committed to you. We're going to follow you. You're our God. He's our God, and we're going to follow you, what he has for us. We know that you led us through these last few years of clearing the land, of possessing the promised land. We know that Abram himself was chosen from the descendants of people to make a people unto himself, to God. And we know that's true. We've heard the stories. We've heard the situations. We've, been, we've even grasped how special we are to God. So we shouldn't be shocked when they give this response. They, they recalled it was God who brought us out. It was God who has set us free from slavery. It is God who has done great and mighty things. And it's God who has preserved us along the way. And they understood it was God who had driven out the pagan peoples. They surely had a great foundation. And I think the thought I want you to grasp here real quickly is this, is there's a decision that has to be made that says we are grateful for God. We have to decide to be grateful for God's work in our lives. If we're honest, we can surely see God's amazing work in our lives, can't we? If you just look around, you could see God in your life, can't you? You could see how he's delivered you from this or brought you through this or carried you through this or taken you through the darkest moment in your life and he's still been there all along. And you're here today as a result of the loving hand of God leading you. 
My friend, if you've met the Messiah as Savior, it's because he chose you and invited you and you responded to him. And all the amazing blessings around you, they have come ultimately from the mighty hand of God. I think the psalmist gives us the right response in Psalm 34. He says, I will what? Bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth and in my mouth. May we be people who recognize his hand. So we make the choice. We can decide to make a commitment. But then there comes a warning. And warnings are good. Warnings give us a, a concern that you need to be careful. Have, have you ever bought a piece of a, a power equipment and not read the manual until later? Y'all with me? Yeah, most of us as men have probably done that, haven't we? We, we go, I can handle that. I don't need to read the manual. And then we get into the situation, we go, what's going on? And we read the manual and it goes, well, you should not do this. And you go, hmm, I think I've been doing that. You should not do this. Oh, I think I've been doing that too. Cautions and warnings are good things because they help us know at least what we shouldn't be doing, right? So here's the caution that comes from Joshua after they respond, we're with God. But Joshua says to the people, you can't do it. You can't do it. That's a paraphrase. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. Why? For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, I've got to tell you, as I was studying for the message this, this last week, I stopped at that passage and I said, well, what hope do I have? You with me? If, if, if I can't do it, he's holy, he's jealous, he won't forgive my sins. What in the world am I doing? Hang in there with me. Verse 20 says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. You're going, hmm. I think I'll memorize that verse as a word of promise when things go well, right? No. I, I really struggle with this because at this point the people have done what? They said, God, we're with you. God, we know you've delivered us. God, we know you're the God that we need to follow. We want to serve. And they do that with the best intention. And then Joshua lays this warning on them, this caution. He's not saying you can't be faithful, so just give up. That's, that's not what he's saying. I don't think that's the intent. What he's reminding them of this is, is, is this. If you make a commitment to God that is shallow, that has no depth, that has no seriousness to it, it'll end up doing you more harm than it will good. They needed to remember that the God who had chosen them as a people unto themselves and the God who had done all the amazing things in the past was a jealous God. What does that mean? They need to understand that he's not willing to share his, your affection with anybody else. God will not share his, your affections with any other God. Yeah, but, but, but that stuff's important. Maybe so. But it can't be as important as what? God. And the way he describes this is as God turning against them because they've turned away from him. I suspect this is an answer to why so many, even today, rarely experience the full power and the intimate presence of God in their lives. Why? Because we've chosen, as the New Testament writer wrote it, a form of godliness, but we have denied the power thereof. We want just enough of God to be safe for eternity, but we don't want enough of God that it could actually change our lives. 
There has to come a moment, my friends, when you as individuals, myself as an individual, as families, as congregations, when we recognize the innate goodness of following God above everything else. And it was in that commitment we begin to live out day in and day out, we find our lives are actually transformed by the presence and power of God. Jesus put it this way, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. God's ways are so much better than ours. And we don't want to be people who put our hand to the plow, as one writer said it, and then turn back. We want to keep going forward. So we make a choice. We decide to commit. Look at number four. After the caution, we find they made a covenant. And the people said to Joshua, the people said to Joshua, wait, wait, wait. Hey, Josh, hold up. Joshua, hold up. No, no. Verse 21 says, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, what they do here at Shechem near the end of Joshua's life is this. They're not making a new commitment. They've already done that years ago. They're making a renewed commitment that says, we're going to stick with God. We're going to stay with God. We're going to let him be God and no one else, nothing else. They're about to enter a season as a nation of relative peace and tranquility. The days of battle are going to be basically over. They have promised, uh, possessed the promised land. They're going to live in peace. Yahweh is going to be God. Their pagan gods have been rejected. And so in this moment, they renew a covenant between them and the God who loved them, the God who delivered them, the God who brought them to this place. My friends, that's something individuals, families, even congregations need to do from time to time. Because there is power in renewing the covenant between us and God. And we find a renewed commitment in that moment. And so I think that's why we have to do this, is to regularly renew our commitment to God. You're going, well, I I told God I loved him years and years ago. Isn't that good enough? How's that work for your wife, guys? I told her 30 years ago I love her. And if it changes, I let her know. It doesn't work that way. We've got to come to moments when we say, as the writer in Lamentation says, God, restore us to yourself. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. God, would you do something new in us again? Would you do something in our families new again? Would you do something in our lives new again? Would you, dear God, do something in our church new again? So I'm waiting for somebody else to do it. May we be people who are willing to humble ourselves in the sight of God. And then they do something I find interesting, something we don't do much of anymore. They, they, they set up a reminder. Now, you may have a reminder on your phone. This is a little different. Consider setting up a reminder. Look, look what then Joshua says in response to their commitment and that they would be witnesses to what they're doing. Look at verse 23. And he said, Then 
Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And Joshua sent the people away, every man to an inheritance. And you look at that and go, What did they just do? You need to remember at this time in Jewish history, there was no Jerusalem. There was no tabernacle at where the temple would be built. The tabernacle was located in this area where Shechem was. So they had basically come to the central meeting place for worship for the nation. And right next to the worship facility was a terebinth. And you're going, what's a terebinth? It's just a big tree. They're just telling us what kind of tree it was. And Joshua says to the people, here's what we're going to do. See this big stone? That big stone? Yeah. It's been listening to us. What? It was right here when we did all this. When we made this commitment, when you said, yes, I'm with God, I'm going to follow God, we're going to, and we're going to witness to each other, and we're going to hold each other accountable, and we're going to walk together. He says, so what they do is they're going to set this stone up because Joshua understood how quickly people forget. And how we need a reminder. And what he does here is set up several things to serve as reminders to the people. The first one he does, is he sets forth the rules and the statutes. Now you're going, so he wrote a whole new set of commandments? No. He pulled out the commandments, I believe, and took them and read them anew to the people as they were gathered that day. And said, do you remember what? Moses brought down from the top of the mountain. Oh, yeah, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, here's what he said. And reminded the people, this is what God says. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. Be a part of this, don't, don't eat this, eat this instead. And he gave them reminders and repeated the law so they would be reminded of what God's plan was for their nation. Second, he then wrote a covenant. And I don't know if that's been recorded in Scripture or not. I kind of wish it had because we could read it, but he wrote a covenant in the book of the law, kind of like an appendix to look back later, a reminder. This is what we did on this day at, at Shechem to remind us that we're committed to God. You know, if we don't write down our commitment, often we're apt to forget what we committed to. Maybe we need to do some of that ourselves. And then he sets up this large stone. I think it's kind of an interesting commitment because in some ways we do that in our culture still today. But they set up a visible reminder, this is who God is. This is the God we're going to serve. And see, they would come back to this place over the next years ahead and they would be able to walk up to that tabernacle to go to one of the festivals to celebrate and to worship and they'd look over and go, you remember when Joshua challenged us? Do you remember when we took that rock and set it up to remind us? Do you remember when? 
that was the day that we said, yes, we're going to continue to be faithful to God. I think after we renew our commitment, sometimes we need to set a visible marker as a reminder. Do you need a big stone out in the front of the yard of the church to remind you? Maybe. Do you need something at your house to remind you that God's God? Maybe. See, our families need to be reminded again and again that God is God. That he's in the center of who we are. So we can go through life and be reminded that he is there. I'm reminded of the words of Moses as the people initially made a commitment to the commandments of God in Deuteronomy 27. They said, he said this, You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That was kind of when it all started. Let me tell you something, friends. Godly families don't just happen. You say, I wish my family was more godly. I wish my kids were more committed to Jesus. I wish our family was more in tune with God. You know what? It takes a commitment that God's going to be God and nobody else is going to take that place. And I want to challenge you, families. You say, well, my kids are grown. You can still be an example for them. You can still be a resource for them. You may have to help raise some of them. But to show them who's God and who you are. And how does that begin? It begins with a personal commitment. So maybe you need to make a decision today. If you don't know Christ, to meet him. If you know Christ, to put him first again. Maybe the invitation is simply this. The altar is going to be open. If you just need to come and say, God, just to kneel and say, God, I'm going to put you first again. I know I I trusted you years ago, but I I want you to be first. I've let you slide. I've let you become secondary. Maybe you have other decisions you need to make. We want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. Father, even when we fail, and we do, your forgiveness is right there, waiting to be received when we turn to you. Father, I pray for those who need to make some type of decision this morning. Father, maybe they just need to sit in the pew where they're at and say, God, I'm tired of you being second, third, fourth, tenth in my life. I want you to be first. For others, Father, maybe it's a decision that needs to be made public. We don't know what that would be, but you do. And we ask your hand to be free in these moments. In Jesus' name.